morning, everyone. Thanks for being here. And today we'll be looking at two issues which have been grabbing headlines lately, of course, for months and sometimes in um, some cases for a couple of years. One is the situation in Hong Kong and uh, the other is the US-China relationship. Um, with us today, we have Professor Danny Kua, who is uh, uh, Dean and Lee Kashing Professor of Economics at Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy at NUS. Uh, Selena Ling, uh, Chief Economist of OCBC Bank, Vikram Khanna, Associate Editor of The Straits Times, and coming in via Skype from Hong Kong, we have Claire Huang, uh, Hong Kong correspondent, whom we'll be hearing from in just a second. Hi, Claire. And later on, we'll be beaming in Benjamin Kang Lim, our Global Affairs correspondent based in Beijing. Now, we'll start with Hong Kong, and we have Claire on, online, but uh, if you've read The Straits Times, Today, there's a particular bit of news about Hong Kong, uh, the US government's Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act, which is awaiting uh, President Trump's approval and is, has elicited a very strong reaction from China. We have Foreign Minister Wang Yi saying, uh, I'll just quote from this quickly, it indulges violent criminals whom China blames for the worsening unrest and aims to, quote, muddle or even destroy Hong Kong. So meanwhile, in Hong Kong, the protests have, been, have receded essentially to one university. Claire, since we have you on the line, what does this say about the state of affairs? Are we over the worst in Hong Kong? Um, in the past six months, we have had consecutive, uh, almost consecutive weekends of demonstrations that very often broke up in chaos clashes. And uh, last week, uh, tensions hit a new flashpoint and university campuses turned into battlegrounds between protesters and police. Um, dozens still remain in Polytechnic U University. And this latest episode somewhat dents the uh, movement because some of the protesters uh, are disappointed they couldn't hold out longer. And it has also made some of them angry. So can we expect more extreme actions uh, in the weeks to come? I think there's certainly room for that, uh, particularly uh, given that the district council election is on Sunday. So if the protesters are not happy with the results, okay, and we're expecting uh, the pan-democrats to uh, win quite a few seats, then uh, we could put, uh, we could see you know uh, further protests and further unrest. Uh, more importantly, I think uh, is that there has been one constant demand, which is the five demands actually, and they have not been fully met. Um, and given the track record these six months, uh, you can almost count on the government or the police to do something that could trigger, um, you know, or give the movement a new lease of life. Um, and uh, I think uh, the chaos is definitely far from over. Okay, so, you know, there was a lot, there's been a lot of jitters about uh, harsh crackdown from China, sending in the PLA and so forth, and it's been going on for months. Has, has China shown more restraint than generally expected? And is, is that fair comment and has it sort of worked? Well, this is a matter of relativity. Setting aside legitimacy, that is, whether China can intervene uh, in Hong Kong affairs, and of course it can to a certain extent because Hong Kong is part of China. Uh, so that position has always been clear in the one country, two systems principle. Uh, for Beijing, at least, uh, one country comes first. Uh, compared to the 1989 Tiananmen crackdown, China has been very restrained. 
Okay, and uh, in addition, the Hong Kong police have also been very restrained. How do we know this? Just look at the countries where protests uh, have been taking place, you know, in recent weeks, uh, and you'll find that police, you know, have been, uh, you know, more aggressive uh, in their tactics against protesters. Um, perhaps one reason for uh, for this restraint could be uh, attributed to trade negotiations taking place between the United States and China at the moment, and the fact that Hong Kong could possibly be used as a bargaining chip in those talks uh, would, would not be in China's favor, especially now that the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act looks set to gain easy passage uh, in the US and sanctions will have far-reaching consequences uh, on Hong Kong's economy um, because without a, any differentiation, you know, Hong Kong will just be another Chinese city. And that's not helpful if there's a lot of Chinese money parked in Hong Kong. Uh, another possible reason, uh, and at this point maybe to a lesser extent, with the presidential elections in Taiwan in January, uh, it's not in Beijing's interest to do anything that would jeopardize the persuasion of Taiwan to rejoin China. Um, and if the army were to be mobilized to quell the unrest in Hong Kong, it would be viewed as an infringement of one country, two systems, and it will only make it harder uh, to convince Taiwan or the Taiwanese folks uh, to vote for Han Kuo-yu, who's favored by Beijing. Uh, so this will then uh, help Taiwan, who has openly rejected uh, unification. Thank you, Claire. Uh, if I may bring in uh, Selena, if I may bring you in now, uh, could you tell us something about the economic ramifications of these months of unrest in Hong Kong? Well, I think it's quite clear uh, the Hong Kong economy is now officially in a technical recession um, and it looks like uh, the government forecast is looking for a contraction of more than 1% year-on-year for 2019. It's a bit of a double whammy, to be frank, because you've had this US-China trade war that's been taking a hit and on top of that, the domestic unrest is contributing to a lot of the slowdown in both business and consumer sentiments. Um, if you look at which are the sectors that has been worst hit, is your retail, tourism, uh, you know, transport, uh, a lot of sectors, right? So if you look at some of the evidence, you know, for a lot of us like to go shopping in Central Causeway Bay, etc., you know, there have been reports about more than 100 shops already closing down. And I think there's some expectations that after Chinese New Year next year, you're probably going to get more than 1,800 restaurants closing down. That's kind of hits home about how bad it has been for business on the ground. Okay. Um, but what is different this time, I think, is that actually if you look at financial markets, the reaction has been quite tapered. In a sense that if you look at the Hong Kong dollar spot, it's been relatively stable. Um, there has been some speculation about capital outflows, but you don't see you know, data showing that there's massive outflows at this juncture. Um, if you look at reserves, it's very healthy, and the government has the policy room to actually put in place a lot of fiscal stimulus. So I think the key question going forward is that where do we see as endgame, right? Because if this continues to drag on into the new year, you know, probably it's going to continue away on 2020 growth prospects, which are already quite muted. And you have this ongoing Hong Kong bill that is obviously uh, complicating the US-China uh, negotiations for the phase one. So it is complicated times that we're living in. I don't have a clear picture on what's the end game for this. Right, Vikram. I think and it's important that to note to note that it's important also for China, not just for Hong Kong. Um, Hong Kong is where Chinese companies do their IPOs. Hong Kong is where Chinese companies issue bonds. Um, 
Hong Kong is still the conduit for FDI flows into and out of China. And mainland banks are, have a huge presence in Hong Kong. They account for about 40% of the assets of the Hong Kong banking system. So any, any sort of instability or weakness of the financial sector, which can happen because of capital flight or because of pressure on, on the banks, or uh, that would have an effect not only on Hong Kong, but also on China. So I think China has to be a little concerned about this. One more point I'll just make is that about the peg. Now, in 97, the peg came under speculative attack. Um, it was defended, but after extraordinary measures, including uh, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority buying $15 billion worth of stocks, and the, the property market corrected 70% from peak to trough. Wages went down. Um, now, if the peg comes under a speculative attack again, it may be defended, but it'll be much more difficult to defend. And if the social fabric has so weakened in Hong Kong, I think you know, the, it's very difficult for wages and so on or to, to go down and unemployment to rise and for that to be sustainable. So I just say that right now everything is holding, but if things continue to sort of drag on and maybe even get worse, I think these are some risks to watch out for. Claire, uh, could I just bring you back for a second here, very briefly? What is the sentiment on the ground in Hong Kong in terms of, you know, the economy, business sentiment? Um, in terms of business sentiment, I think uh, you can say that the business confidence here has plunged to an all-time low. Um, I think uh, the. The fact that the protests have been going on for so long uh, has uh, has basically uh, impacted on uh, business sentiments and and people. You know, initially I was still hearing things like, "Oh, you know, Hong Kong is very resilient" and things like that. But uh, now, and there were just talks of company revenues being impacted. Now it has become one of where funds are flowing out. Companies are worrying. They are now looking at exit plans, and that has come into mind. So. Um, it doesn't help that Hong Kong's economy has fallen into recession for the first time since the global financial crisis, right? So um, this is just going to worsen if the protests continue. Thank you. Danny, I'd like to bring you in here. How much of an ex existential threat does this pose to China and to, you know, one country, two systems? Okay. The, um, as I take that on, I want to do that in light of the fact that I'm actually a little bit more pessimistic and my colleagues here about the Hong Kong economy and in agreement with your correspondent in Hong Kong. I think that the, the, the way the signs have lined up, Hong Kong's economy is about the same size as Singapore's. It's a little bit bigger, but it's roughly the same size. And when you think about the way in which the Hong Kong ge economy generates momentum, it comes from travel, tourists, and it comes from its special status for, for finance, as Vikram has said. Both of those under severe attack. You know, there are travel advisories against Hong Kong in 22 nations around the world. 75% of the footfalls that come through Hong Kong airport come from mainland Chinese, which has now trickled to, a, to, to, to practically nothing. Um, and the, you know, observations are, you know, comp uh, taking in light what you've said, Selena, about the closures of different companies and restaurants, Retail sales, consumer spending might fall by as much as 10% year on year compared to last year. That's a huge hit. Add on top of that that 
the, the great attraction for Hong Kong had been rule of law, stability, both of which are coming under attack on all different fronts. So its future as a place where China goes to IPO is at risk. Its future as a place for the headquarters of 1,500 multinational corporations is at risk. So all of that bodes ill, I think, for in the short term and long term. Having said all that, having said about my pessimism, I'm actually relatively optimistic about how Hong Kong's journey within China itself is going to, to, to go from here. The huge risk for China, the extent to which it might be viewed as an existential issue, uh -huh. uh, Hong Kong might be viewed as an existential issue, has to be put against a context, a background of many other challenges in the Chinese economy today. Slowing growth, uh, US-China conflict, which I know we'll come back to talk about technology, income inequality, aging population, all of those are huge issues. Hong Kong is 5.76 million people. Its economy is $350 billion. It is, yes, one country, two, part of one country, two systems, but being the large country that China is, it's practicing one country, many systems in all different parts of China. So the big danger, the big existential danger is, will, China's, will Hong Kong's political turmoil spill over onto the 1.4 billion people in mainland. And here, the evidence suggests not. Uh -huh. The evidence suggests that many of the people within the mainland view what's happening in Hong Kong as an aberration. There's no communication from Hong Kong to mainland about the validity, legitimacy of the complaints that Hong Kongers have. There is very little traction that Hong Kong's problems have in carrying over to the mainland. So is it an existential issue for China? I suspect not. It's an existential issue for Hong Kong. Vikram, would you like to add to that? Well, um, I, I, I agree that it's not an existential issue for China. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think it, the only, only way it would become an existential issue for China if Hong Kong were to try and declare independence, which is not going to happen. Yeah. That's not going to happen. But I think what is a threat, what is a problem, is the, I think the Human Rights and Democracy Act that has been passed by the US, both houses of Congress. Now, um, this probably will have to be signed into law by President Trump, because it, if there's, there's so much unanimity about this, I mean, it's very hard for him to go against it. But down the road, I mean, you know, the US State Department every year has to certify that Hong Kong is sufficiently autonomous to be granted special trading status, right? Now, if that certification does not come, and if, and if you know, there's continued perception of the erosion of Hong Kong's autonomy through judicial vetoes by, by Beijing or any other means, or let alone a sort of major crackdown, I think there's a danger that that certification may not come. If that does not come, then Hong Kong becomes treated like the rest of China. In, so all the tariffs and all that which apply to China will also apply to Hong Kong. And Hong Kong is already in recession. So that would be devastating. I think that really is, is, is a big risk that, uh, that Hong Kong is up against. What does this say about how President Xi Jinping has handled the crisis? Who would like to take that question? Danny. Okay. Um, like China itself, Xi Jinping faces numerous challenges. 
Uh, he's still in the midst of dealing with the anti-corruption work. He's now dealing with an America and a Trump that has turned uh, uh, un, you know, surprisingly recalcitrant in the way they're engaging with China. So I suspect that for him, Hong Kong is one of many different problems on the table where the rubber hits the road, as it were, is, is in what Vikram just said. Because America has decided to take upon itself to take a look in on Hong Kong's internal challenges uh -huh. through the Hong Kong Human Rights Democracy Act. There could well be unintended consequences there, but those unintended consequences need not work against Xi Jinping and against China. Because as Vikram has described, one of the consequences of this is that Hong Kong's special position within the global system will be removed as part of the workings out of this act. What that will mean is that Hong Kong becomes just another Chinese city. And it becomes just another Chinese city. Its status, being where the financial activity happens, where it could be a model for how China might go, becomes even more diminished. It becomes even less important as far as Xi Jinping is concerned. On top of all that, you know, if you compare what's happening, uh, what's happened with, if you compare, about, if you compare the, the action against the demonstrators or the rioters, depending on how you look at it, the restraint has been remarkable both from within Hong Kong and from China itself. Uh, you compare what's happened against the millions of, of demonstrators in Hong Kong where the first three months, 400 of them were arrested. When we had thousands of demonstrators occupy Wall Street in New York, over 700 got thrown in jail. So restraint has been remarkable. So all of that says that China has actually managed this uh -huh. remarkably well. It could do better. There could be a resolution of this earlier, but there are many other challenges that she is having to deal with. Selena, just, just very quickly, can you imagine Hong Kong as just another Chinese city like Danny just said? <laughs> I think that probably will be quite catastrophic for the Hong Kong economy. Um, but in the overall scheme of things for China and the world, uh, maybe not so much. I think the irony is that today we see you know, the US administration basically withdrawing from a lot of the rules-based regime that DPM Hing talked about earlier today, um, whether it's the TPP, WTO, etc., etc. But it's chosen uh, to focus on this Hong Kong human rights issue, right? So that gives, uh, in a sense, greater significance in the overall scheme of things um, in this talks with China. Whether this is going to be positive or negative for Hong Kong and the economy, I think it really waits to be seen. Because I think if we go down the road where the review of Hong Kong's special status is actually revoked, uh -huh. uh, it's going to be devastating for the Hong Kong economy. 